You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 106. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone, to another Local Maximum. We have a co-hosted show today with Aaron. Aaron, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. All right, we have a pretty good quick show well i don't know how quick it's going to be it's always uh <laughs> it's always a uh, famous last always... words or famous right. first words i guess yeah yeah i i we are not good at, we're good at keeping it to an hour i think but we're usually not good at keeping it to 30 minutes which i think uh, i think works out um so we're going to talk about the we're going to talk about mapping technology today geotechnology which as you know, Aaron, is something that I've been working on for a really long time. So that's always a good thing to talk about. It's the 15th anniversary of Google Maps. It's been an article about that and a lot of thought of, a lot of thought about that. We'll talk about that a little bit. A few other stories. There's an update from Venezuela that I find interesting. Neither of us are an expert on Venezuela, but I am always interested in seeing what's happening to those closed off countries and you know how the, the process of opening them up works or, or not opening up, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, a few quick news stories today that we're going to go through. Ready, Aaron? Ready. Let's hit it. All right. Uh, in cryptocurrency news, Bitcoin has surpassed $10,000 for the for, uh, for one unit for the first time this year. Um, it actually feels like the whole crypto market has been up this year. Uh, the market I've been following for a long time, it always feels like, you know, the market is doing badly, but then it always ends up, you know, <laughs> to, you know because, um, you know, at the beginning of last year, it sank all the way down to the 3000s from 20,000. People are like, oh, this is really bad. And it was swimming at the bottom for a long time in 2019. Then in the middle of 2019, it, it, it shot all the way up to like 14,000. And people were excited for like a few weeks, but then it started slowly falling down to 6,000 again. So for the majority of the time, you always think you're losing. But uh, now it's uh, now it looks like it's going up to 10. And also something that's different this time than it has been for the last couple of years uh, since 2017, uh, basically, when we had that altcoin craze, which are other cryptocurrencies besides Bitcoin. Since then, Bitcoin has gained in value as compared to the other currencies. So Bitcoin topped out at around 70% of the cryptocurrency market. Now the other coins, such as Ethereum, are starting to go up relative to Bitcoin. So it might be an alt season. I feel like there are the four seasons of cryptocurrency. There's uh, crypto winter, uh, there's Bitcoin Spring, there's Alt Season, and there's Moon Harvest. And so uh, <laughs> we are uh, we we might be entering uh, Alt Season right now. Well, so um, when when you when you say that that uh, some of the the alts are up, they're they're they're. I, I I guess my question is: Is this a rising tide lifts all boats situation where? Uh, Bitcoin is, as you said, they, they broke over 10K, but they're also, we're seeing greater gains elsewhere, or, or is it a, uh, a zero-sum game is oversimplifying, but does, no, no, does no. somebody have to be losing out for the altcoins to be gaining here? No, right. So for the last year and a half, basically, when Bitcoin dropped, the other ones dropped even more. And then when Bitcoin 
went up, the other ones went up, but not as much. So the ratio that they had to Bitcoin oh. fell. Um, now that ratio is starting to go back up. And the ratio is something, I mean, there's some controversy over, not controversy, but people kind of debate online whether the ratio matters. I think it matters because it sort of shows how dominant Bitcoin is in this space relative to the alternatives. And I, I don't think it's a winner-take-all space, but I do think it's a winner-take-most space, and that winner is going to be Bitcoin. But there's a huge question as to what the role of these other cryptocurrencies are going to play. And if you see the tide turn on at least some of them, the big ones right now, um, you know, they have uh, real lasting power, it, so, so it appears. So if, if we are entering an alt season, uh, how, how do we and, and, as individuals benefit from this without exposing well, usually, ourselves to the risks of crypto winter? Well, usually, so I would say we had a crypto winter in 2018 when everything was falling. A Bitcoin spring was 2019 where Bitcoin was going up, but the alts weren't doing anything. Now, alt season is really a good season for, I think everything just starts to rise. Uh, if I mean, I would compare it to 2016 was the last time we had an alt season. I don't know what individuals can do. I think if you're in the crypto space, you're, you know, the crypto space is volatile enough as it is. So you really... Uh, just want to go, if you want to invest in it, you really just want to go to the big guys, Bitcoin, and then maybe like look at the top 10 on coinmarketcap.com. Uh, you know, if you happen to want to bet on a long shot and some of these new coins that come out, most of them are are duds. They go to zero, but some of them can give really high rates of return. And I really have no good advice on that. I haven't really... Uh, I haven't really been into doing that at all. Uh, the way I see it is, you know, the story from Bitcoin, Ethereum, some of the Bitcoin forks like Bitcoin Cash, uh, those are really interesting. But um, when you get down to the to the bottom, it's, it starts looking like moonshots and the technology is already like all the technological innovation is going to be on top of the big guys, in my opinion. Well, it, it, there's there's a, a, a dangerous attraction to the uh, big risk, big reward opportunities, uh, much much like you mentioned in uh, gaming strategies for Guess Who in, <laughs> yeah. your, in your previous it, uh, episode. Right. I, so, yes, betting on Bitcoin is like a good, you know, does your person wear glasses, but um, betting on the 100th. Uh, the altcoin in a hundredth place is like asking a question and get guess who, where only one person fits that description, possibly zero. And so <laughs> <laughs> you're not, it's probably not a good idea. Um, okay. So moving on a lot of political news in the last couple of weeks. I don't, you know, if this were back in the Max and the Wiz days, back when I was at Yale, we would always be talking about the political news, especially during an election year. Um, Man, and uh, maybe I'll start doing it again here. But uh, look, I mean, I've just been glued to the TV. Not actually, I haven't been glued to the TV because my I canceled cable. I'm a cord cutter now. But I've been <laughs> glued to YouTube Live and all these other things because, man, we had that State of the Union, which was hilarious. Um, the Democratic primaries also hilarious, <laughs> and uh, you know, impeachment is is done, which. Uh, well, it was now. not hilarious. It was kind of boring. Yeah, I know. Who knows? They might bring it back. Um, Impeachment to but, the Boogaloo. 
Yeah. I have been trying to bet on things in predict it to try to predict. Well, yeah, I, I was going to ask if, if the primary results have yielded any major shifts there that you've been able to, to take advantage of. Yes. Yes. Um, so I definitely made money on shorting Elizabeth Warren. She's almost down to, you know, two cents from a oh, high wow. of like 40 cents. Yeah. So I'm going to cash out on that. I sadly, I also made money shorting Andrew Yang because I liked the guy, but I just didn't think he had an 8% chance of winning. And now he dropped out. So I made a little bit on that. Um, I I got into Tulsi Gabbard on the plus side many months ago when she was like a two cents. And I meant to cash out when she was at five. And I totally forgot to do that. So I lost money <laughs> on that. Uh, and um, yeah, I have, for some reason, unpredicted, Tom Steyer is at an 11 is at 11 cents, 11 percent to win the South Carolina primary. I shorted the crap out of that. There's no way that guy's going to win that. So hopefully I'll make a a few bucks on that one. Is is that one that Bloomberg is in the running for or or does he not show Uh, up until Super Tuesday? Yeah, he does not show up until Super Tuesday. So it's really it's Biden um, and Buttigieg and uh Bernie Sanders are also going to be in that. But I don't think that Tom Steyer is going to beat any of those three. It seems unlikely, given yeah. you know, not not that past performance is, is, is an indicator of, of future expectations, but it seems unlikely. He's putting a lot of money into it, but there's no one there. there there's nothing that I don't see any reason for anyone there to vote for him, but we'll yeah. see. Well, my I, my hope is is that he is one of several millionaires who put a lot of money into this election uh, and are functionally just lighting it on fire and getting nothing for for their expenditures. That's a <laughs> that's a, probably a good uh, lesson for people that a lot of this money is just wasted money. Did I, anything? Unfortunately, so- the only people that benefit from it are in media and. And maybe some political strategists, but. Yep. Yep. I mean, a lot of people getting that Bloomberg money. I know that. Um, (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's. uh, Well, did anything subvert your expectations in the primary season? Uh, I'm I'm surprised by how poorly Biden is doing, but uh, not really. So, yeah, uh, I I, I don't I don't know that there's more to say on that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, (laughs) we'll move on. I mean, it's. It looks like Bernie Sanders is going to be the front runner, and this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I I can't see him getting a majority of the delegates, and so that would mean. But we'll see. Maybe he will. Yeah. Well, uh, I, 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 I don't think Trump on, would either. I haven't looked on Metaculus yet, but uh, I I would expect they should have a a prediction on whether or not. Uh, it will be wh- whether or not the Democratic uh, nominee will be elected on the first ballot uh, or, or if it's going to go to a brokered convention. Um, yeah, because as as an observer, that would be the most exciting thing. Uh, but I, I think it's it's probably looking at, you know, a, a less than 30 percent chance of, of that scenario occurring at this point. Yeah, I, I just look at this and man, it it looks good for Donald Trump here. I just. I, I don't see any of these people doing well toe-to-toe against them. Sure, maybe in a poll like, hey, do you vote for Donald Trump or do you vote for a generic Democratic candidate? Generic Democratic candidate might win. But um, the problem is it's going to be one of these people. 
Well, keep in mind, it's February. So uh, we've yeah. got, what, nine, ten months more of this before the... Oh, this is going to be a lot of things. Yeah, so a lot, a lot can change between here and now. Th- think of all the different countries we could go to war with between now and then. Ah, oh, uh, yeah, that's true. All right. <laughs> on that note, let's... Uh, Let's move on. We're going to talk about Google Maps for a second. But first of all, speaking of Google Maps, this news story that came out, Google says it accidentally sent some users' private videos to strangers. What does that mean? It means so Google, do you use Google Photos at all? I do, yes. Yeah, I do too. I have it. It uploads photos from my phone and also uploads from my desktop. Sometimes it uploads photos. It finds photos on my desktop that I didn't even know I had that aren't really mine. And it also puts (laughs) those in there too. And so Google, apparently there's Google takeout where you could download all your old content. And apparently some people asked for their content back and they got random other people's videos. And so this this seems a little problematic. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, a, a little bit. I mean, these cloud services are clearly not that safe. Um, we're all trusting them. It's not like it's, I, I don't know if you're doing the same as me. I'm like, oh, this is definitely not safe. And then I go dumpty dumpty dum. And then I put everything on there. <laughs> and then it, and then I'm just like, what did I just do? Ah, I'll just leave it there. I'll figure out what to it do. I'll, I'll be a, a, a safety nut later on. It's horrible. The convenience factor still outweighs my paranoia uh, at this point. Whether it should or not is an open question, but my my yeah. actions prove that it, it currently does. So the question is, did they get the wrong user ID or did they like did they download their entire photo set or did it just get a few videos? It, it um, sounds the article wasn't very clear. Not yeah, not entirely clear, but but the way I I think I'm supposed to interpret it is that when I if I go to Google Takeout, I'll get most or all of my stuff, but there might be some other random, not my photos, not my videos mixed in there, um, which makes makes it more more complicated, more confusing exactly how this is happening. Um, but it, at least from what, what we've read, they haven't been super transparent about the, the detailed nature of the flaw. Um, Let me tell you something. I, you know, these kind of bugs creep into the software that I build all the time. But the difference is I'm building software with like two to five people, okay? I think at some place like Google, it's that big. And we know that they're security first on a lot of things. Why wouldn't they be security first on this? I'm sure they're security first in terms of like their own data and like, you know, uh, company secrets. Um, I, I, uh, I feel like I see this a lot in consumer applications uh, where they they seem to want to do it on the cheap. Even a company basking in money. Yeah. Well, maybe they're not so doing I, it. Maybe they're not spending cheap, but they're not like you know, uh, they're they're not they're, they're not building it on a very good foundation. Is is what I can surmise. I, I don't want to, you know. I, I, I initially thought that maybe the issue here was they that when you were requesting your your Google takeout that it was being sent to the wrong person. In which case you you could potentially fix that by having uh, you know, an, an encryption key sent to the the uh, account of the person who's requesting it, and so if they they need that key along with the actual data download to unlock it, but but it sounds like we're we're dealing with content intermixed into whatever this download is, and so that that really wouldn't correct the issue there. Yeah, more and more uh, when I look at these things and I learn about encryption, 
I start to come to the conclusion that uh, people need to be doing need to be managing keys and encrypting and decrypting on their end. That doesn't mean everybody has to understand it. But uh, if you have sort of a, an architecture where, what did we talk about when there would be like encryption banks, like like banks that would hold your keys for you in case you needed a, a backup of them or something, just so that the average person is not liable to, to, to lose them. Did we talk about that in a previous oh, I, episode? I, I don't know if we did, but I, I did watch the uh, the Naomi Brockwell, Brockwell clip that you shared in, in a previous episode. Yeah. Um, the talking about, about good... Uh, security hygiene and and one of the things they talked about was not keeping your passwords um well how, how to how to properly store your passwords and, and they they even mentioned the possibility of it's okay to write them down and store them in a secure physical location like a safe or a safety deposit box i, I don't think it's, that was their recommendation but but they're saying that that that's that's not as bad as some people have led you to believe yeah, yeah, I've heard, you know, don't write them down because someone might, you might not want to write them down and leave them in an open office, but um, if you leave them locked in your house and you're safe, it might be okay. But then, I don't know, now we're, uh, you know, okay, if everybody has this very valuable information in their home, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. Um, maybe the answer is to split these things up and just have some scheme where there's there's backups and redundancies and maybe not everyone has to understand it, but everybody has to have a procedure that they go through that that someone else makes sure. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that <laughs> how much do people really care about their photos is a good question. I mean, they care about having access to them, but do they care about someone else getting them? I'm sure some well, people I mean, care a lot. Re- remember the, uh, the, was it the iCloud uh, hacks that, that had all, yeah. all those pe- people, including celebrities, uh, private photos that that were leaked or hacked or, or whatever the the proper term is for what happened there uh, i mean this this could easily have been just as bad uh, i'm sure they were it, furious it like quote furious but it probably helped their careers well yeah i it, it sounds like this this google takeout issue wasn't actively exploited that it wasn't it wasn't a, a vulnerability being targeted that it just it it, it happened to some people by accident yeah, that's what uh, but, it sounds like. That happens. But that could also just be their spin on it. I mean, we, ha- we haven't heard anything yeah. one way or the other on that. Yeah, I mean, but that also happens. There's, you know, there, <laughs> it's improperly tested software. When you, when you push something out to hundreds of millions of people, I mean, there's different standards that I would put into writing software than when, like, what I'm working on now with Foursquare Labs. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it and, and it's not clear if this was they, they made an update to takeout or something refreshed on the back-end server that, that tied into this. How long was this vulnerability present? It, there's, there's a lot of unanswered questions there, uh, but they, they are telling us that it's been fixed and don't worry. Right. Okay. So on to the good side of Google, or at least the... Um, uh, you know, what we're talking about Google Maps, uh, you know, something that has, I think, positively affected our lives. Uh, Google Maps is 15 years old, which to me is, it's hard to believe 15 years because that means that it came out, what, at the beginning of 2015? And I, they had their. I was going to ask, how old is Sticky Maps? Sticky Map, or Sticky which Map. was is it my Maps site at, at, at Yale. Uh, came out and, and it was based on Google Maps API. I started working on it in late 2015. So they okay. l- launched their API probably like a year after they launched the mapping service. 
Very cool. Yeah. And man, do you remember pre-Google Maps? You had MapQuest, right? Yep. And rather than uh, what you would have to do is you go and dial up and you'd have MapQuest and you'd, you'd look <laughs> on the map. And then if you wanted to scroll up, you'd press the up button and it'd have to reload the whole thing. And then you'd wait a minute and, and it would move an inch up. Yeah. Um, but they they did have pretty good directions that you could print out, uh, you know, uh, beforehand. Uh, and then you'd like stick them in. You'd, you'd print out like two pages of directions and then you'd stick them like in the sleeve of a physical roadmap. You ever do that? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I remember those days. Okay. Well. Those days are no longer. Uh, they haven't, um, I don't think anyone's been doing that for a good 10 years or so. Uh, but it's amazing how far we've come with Google Maps. Although I can't, well, I could talk about what's happened in the last five to five years because I don't think it's been as big of a change. Um, let's see, what else can we talk about in the history? The satellite imagery. I mean, there was Google Earth. That was a big deal. Well, which um, I think still technically exists, but... Uh the, the differentiation between Google Maps and Google Earth has degraded somewhat. Oh, sure, sure. They also say in this particular article, which is from Jen Fitzpatrick, who I believe was, is like the product manager on Google Maps. Let me actually say a senior vice president, Google Maps, which I'm sure maybe is a little like the product manager. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, OK, so. Um, she wrote, uh, here's one quote that I'm going to say. In a world before smartphones, one of the biggest questions that we agonized over was where to put the print button on the page so that people could easily take their directions on the go. Um, I remember one time I visited Google headquarters, maybe it was in 2006. So Google Maps is only like two years old. And this is probably when I was, uh, um, when I was interviewing there back in when I was an undergrad. And I met with some people work, or I saw a video about Google Maps and how they loved working on it and all these people were using it and how they caused this bug to make people go round and round in a circle and then people made memes about it. And sort of like those mid-2000s, like little animations that you know people would make up, like, I'm going to go right, then I'm going to go left, then I'm going to go right, then I'm going to go left, you know, that kind of gif type of a thing. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, lots of... Uh, Lots of Google Maps means. But when it came out, it was very, it, in, in Google style, just like they did with search, it was a better product, I think, than the other mapping applications that were out there. Uh, because uh, they, I, you know, it's interesting. There's a Google approach to products. There's an Apple approach to products. Sometimes the Apple approach blows everything away. When it came, came to Maps and when it came to search, uh, the Google way kind of blew away the competition. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, they're very and, good at these big data type of projects, which maps, and, and Apple maps if anything, is, is, data. is playing catch up uh, to that now. And, and and it sounds like to some extent they've closed the gap, but a little bit, but but only in 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 a also played context. Uh, and and Apple has, uh, I, I think, a lot of uh, there's there's still some sour taste in people's mouths from uh, the the. Apple Maps fiasco, what was it, maybe five years ago when they rolled out a version that was just yeah. non-functional? When it, when it rolled out, it wasn't non-functional. It just wasn't as good as advertised. And it was, you'd use it and you'd be like, okay, this is clearly worse than Google Maps. I still think there are some things in Apple Maps that are a little bit worse than Google Maps, particularly uh, 
if you're driving with it, Google Maps tends to be a lot better. But Apple does have that benefit that they're native to their device. So uh, there are certain seamless things that they can do. But still, uh, um, Google I, wins out in my book, even though I still use Apple for certain yeah. things. Um, okay, so what else can we say about it? What, what have they done the last five years? They spent the last five years copying Foursquare, <laughs> essentially. Uh, <laughs> they took a lot of our, our employees to do it, too. Uh, so, um, let's see. So, right. They were talking about exploring the world. Once you get there, I'm like, yeah, you, you bit us off, didn't you? (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) this is all the stuff that, uh, Google built from 2015 to 2020. I feel is the stuff Foursquare built from 2010 to 2015. Um, well, so to, to some extent they're, they're doing in their Google maps, uh, ecosystem, uh, they they built an API and then they're finding all the 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 best oh, things. Built wait, with that before API you get into that, I should I should point out it's all about like points of interest and finding that best coffee shop, finding that best restaurant, finding the best place to go with your friends. That's what we worked on at Foursquare, and so Google decided to catch up on that and they used some of our ideas. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, so they 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 built this API. They they let people go off and do cool things with it, and then they decided to take the the coolest things they saw there and say, okay, we're going to fold that into our main product, uh, and and now it's ours, and we're going to do it better than you could because you don't you know through the API you don't have access to all of the kind of power features that we do from from inside the tool, much like uh, Amazon has done with a lot of things in their marketplace. They let they let other people go off and figure out what products are are selling well and are successful. And then they release an Amazon version of it and they promote it internally. Uh, and it may even be manufactured in the same factory just with an Amazon logo on it now, uh, but they can outsell and drive out of the market the people who basically built the uh, built built the opportunity there because they own the platform. Man, that's a good, uh, that's a good strategy there. It's yeah, certainly it's a nice not work odd. if you can get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... It's interesting, though, one of the things that's been pointed out to me a lot, and, you know, this is one of the first things I covered on The Local Maximum when I interviewed Stephanie Yang in episode three about how we do the four square ratings of different venues. It still is more trusted by the people who use it than the ratings in Google. And there are very few people who, there are people who swear by the ratings at Foursquare that we built. I don't know anyone who, like, they kind of use the Google ratings because it's there, but I don't know anyone who like swears by the Google ratings. Um, and so our, the kind of the, the love that we put in to our ratings product <laughs> and some of our recommendations products, even after essentially being static for a few years because the company has put investments elsewhere, uh, still is beloved by the users. Yeah, I, I think the the Google star rating is is not a a huge uh, huge indicator that 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 other company whose name begins with a with a Y uh, tends to carry more weight than than Google does in that in that aspect. Uh, e- even though they have uh, their own fiascos with ratings, uh, yeah. at least in the past. Uh, so another thing they've done that's very interesting, particularly has picked up in the last five years, is rerouting people through traffic and um, much more comprehensive traffic data. I mean, it's all about gathering that data. And so yeah, and, this and leads they to- They started doing that before the Waze acquisition, but that was a big piece of, of, 
of that capability, yeah. I think. When was the Waze acquisition again? Oh, gosh. it's It's got to be a few years back now because I, yeah. I want to say they were an Israeli company originally. They, they are, yeah. Uh, the Waze acquisition was – let me see if I can look this up. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Acquired by Google. Looks like 2013. Okay, yeah, so about seven years ago now. Um, yeah, so they've been rolling that out ever since. I, <laughs> I love this article that's been going around about traffic recently, uh, that a man in Berlin creates a traffic jam on Google Maps by wheelbarrowing 99 phones with active Google Maps on it, uh, directions on it. He just wheelbarrowed it through the street he wanted to cross, and all the cars were rerouted away from that street. Yeah, and apparently this was was some sort of uh, some performance art piece. Yeah. Oh, they. Sorry, I said man in Berlin. He's not a man. Apparently, he's a YouTuber. That's they're, they they're distinct subspecies. YouTuber. Yeah, exactly. Um, just like podcasts. They, they right? can they can interbreed, but uh, it's di- <laughs> distinct from from st- standard man on the street. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, Interesting quote, another quote about what's been happening, because a lot of stuff in, in, in maps has been happening under the hood. And so it's kind of interesting to read that. Here's another one uh, that she wrote. Uh, we worked with our data operations team to manually trace common building outlines, then trained our machine learning models to recognize building edges and shapes. Thanks to this technique, we are, we've mapped as many buildings in the last year as we did in the previous 10. Elsewhere, machine learning helps us recognize handwritten building numbers that would be hard even for the passerby in the car to see. This is especially important when mapping areas where formal street signs and house numbers are uncommon. So uh, this, to me, sounds like a precursor to um, augmented reality, where uh, they're they're really laying the stage for this. And it's amazing how much uh, I feel like we've been laying the foundation uh, for augmented reality for like 10 years. But it's amazing how much foundation you really need for something like this to work. But I've been seeing a lot in like in research at, at universities. I've been seeing a lot of interest in this whole, you know, hold your phone up to something and identify to what it is. And so uh, I think that's a very interesting data point. Yeah, I, I think they're going to run into some issues with that, much like they did with, with touchscreens um, that – that no nobody wants to use a a minority report uh, you know gesture interface because it involves you holding your hands up in front of you all the time and it just becomes unwieldy. Sure, but but they they are going to find a way to use this augmented reality stuff and make it make it applicable. Yeah, but and by the way, all of these buildings and and street numbers and stuff doesn't just have to be used in AR. They're using it now uh, for navigation and pictures and 3d models and yeah, I, I don't know if um, i've mentioned this street before. numbers for for geocoding yeah i i don't know if i mentioned this before in, in our discussion of of particularly of traffic routing but uh my my impression is that currently it uses you know what what it what looks like known known traffic loads and it will try and route you around existing traffic jams however i don't believe they do any load balancing uh in the sense that you know we we have you know a, a hundred people that are trying to get to this the, the the following destination do we send them all on the same optimal path or do we break them up into three groups and send them on three roughly equal p- 
paths in, in optimality to spread that out so that we don't create a traffic jam with our own routing, causing the need to, you know, dynamically reroute partway through. Um, I, I don't know if, if any of that is being done or even investigated, but, but that would seem like a, an interesting problem to try and tackle. I could see a future, and it's definitely a long-term future, not not a short-term future, where, you know, maybe the roads are charged per use, but you don't have to stop. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's kind of tracked where everyone is, so you can pay, and then mm. you have a program in the car that says, you know, minimize my cost. And well, so there there has be- been talk in a couple of states of of uh, implementing. Uh, mileage taxes, which which it's it's a little bit simpler than that, but you know ba- basically your your car phones home on a on a regular basis and says I've driven X number of miles, and then they they send you a tax bill based on that. Well, the problem with that is it ignores supply and demand. That's more like just central planning of right, you know, of right. of, of a tax you, bill. You you you'd it, be looking for something more like um, demand based tolling, more like private road tolling. Uh, but but we'll who probably will build the roads? It, yeah, we'll probably see it in Liberland before anything else, even though they have no roads yet. Um, okay, so uh, let's look at, uh, well, okay, uh, there was one thing that you wrote here that I found interesting. Uh, you wrote about, uh, we have traded the serendipity of getting lost uh, or exploring new neighborhoods for recommender apps. Uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit about that, because that was very interesting to me. Yeah, so... It- it used to be that you you had a you know you you could use a map for the big stuff like uh, I know I'm going to take this interstate to this this uh, this you know local route to this the state road uh, and that'll get me from Boston to uh, you know a particular town in Connecticut uh, but you probably didn't plan out your route to involve all of the local roads at every last turn in the town especially if you just needed to get to town uh, and then. You know, I, I want to figure out a place to eat when I get there. Uh, whereas today, you can go on and look, say, okay, I'm going to be going to uh, the town of Fairfield, and what's the best pizza place in Fairfield, and give me directions exactly to there. And so uh, it, it, it takes your, your head out of kind of on a swivel mode where you're looking around, uh, kind of try, trying to explore the area around you, and puts you back into the car looking at your directions and focused on uh, how do I get to from from point A to point B, which has already been predefined. Um, and and the the upside is that odds are pretty good you're going to end up at a good pizza place in that town. Uh, but you don't know what you might be missing uh, by by being in more of a, a an explore and discover mode. Um, yeah. You've got to I mean, accept, want... though, that, that you might have some bad experiences that, that come along with that as, as a result. Right. So in, in episode 49, that was the, that was uh, a little more than a year ago uh, when I oh, spoke gosh. to Daniela Garcia about like happy maps and, um, yep. you know, not always going the, the direct route. O- optimizing and, for, for experience as opposed to uh, efficiency, perhaps. Yeah. Or just not optimizing at all is the way I see it, which is sometimes a very good thing. Um, adding a little randomization in there is sort of better for human happiness and flourishing. Um, and so, look, we tried to build some of that into the Foursquare apps. I've had a lot of success, you know, showing up at a city with no, you know, with with no ideas of what I'm going to do, 
firing up the force grab and then kind of doing a combination of looking around and looking at the app uh, to make sure I don't miss anything good or, or see something good or walk down the right street. But there are many right streets. So it's sort of there's sort of an aid, there's sort of a back and forth, like an aid. Hey, this can help me. So I'm not because look, it's not going to be fun if you get completely lost for two hours and all you find are warehouses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and, and I found that even for for routes that I more or less know routes that I've driven before, I'll still turn on the GPS and tell it to direct me to where I'm going, even though I, I don't really need it. And in some ways, I feel like it, it can almost become more of a distraction because I'm paying attention to the GPS and less attention to the driving. Yeah, I feel that way too sometimes. Um, especially when the GPS is on the phone and so the phone is like plugged in and there's no good place to put it. But I don't know, maybe I'm just getting like really crappy uh, zip cars. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Apple Maps, they came out with a redesign. Like you said, it looks like they're always playing catch up with Google Maps. They're kind of perpetual. Their two examples are sharing your estimated time of arrival and also um, looking around, which essentially means if you're on the map, you can get pictures of the buildings nearby, which uh, sounds very similar to Street View, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a little something more to it than that. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't sound like there. none of these features sound like a, a Google Maps killer, nor do they sound like something especially unique. Uh, but but they're they're things that I, I guess Apple Maps didn't have before. And so they they, they might the make your life easier bit. once or twice. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Like one of the things that so one time I was in the car with a friend um, and he was trying to use the Google, uh, you know, the Google voice assistant to yep. help us. And he said, like, you know, hey, Google, I'm sorry, I turned on everyone's Google advice just, <laughs> device just now. He said, hey, Google, try to uh, uh, stop us at the nearest gas station. We need gas. You can't do that. Google doesn't understand that. And I, as far as I know, Google still doesn't understand that. So there are very simple things that would really make your life a lot easier when you're traveling that, uh, like... It doesn't even understand that you're going in this direction and you need something that way. You know what I mean? It's, um, it's, it's, there are a lot of very simple things that I think they could put in that, uh, that would make yeah, everyone's I, life a little easier. I, I haven't tried that recently with Google Maps. It might be better at that now. I, I, think, I think Waze uh, may be able to take voice commands like that. But, but again, I haven't tested it recently. Uh, I will tell you that my, my current pet peeve with uh, the Google Assistant is that I will I will tell it in the car to call my wife's cell phone, and, and it will tell me that it doesn't have a number for my wife's cell phone. But if I tell it, call my wife, it'll say, okay, calling your wife's mobile phone. Uh, and so apparently it, it uh. can't make the connection that a cell phone and a mobile phone are the same thing, and I must have... S- I must have told it at some point that it was a mobile number, not a cell number. You know, the thing is, you you don't need AI. You don't need real AI to solve any of that. All you need (laughs) is a few people looking at queries and drawing connections and making some rules, and that would solve it. And you know what? A lot of these problems, I bet there are tons and tons of engineers at Google that want to write these features and probably have written these features. The problem is there's kind of like a, there's a bottleneck to actually figuring out what goes in the app and they don't want to overcomplicate things. And also, um, you know, (laughs) there's probably this calculation where if we, 
invest more in Google Maps, is that going to get us, or invest in these things, is that going to get us more Google Maps users? And eventually they realize that the answer is no um, at the cost of like being an innovative company. That happens all the mm. time. So that's sort of that's sort of the way I see things. Uh, hey, maybe it's an opportunity. Well, look, I don't think it's an opportunity for someone to come in and make a business around those types of queries because if they're successful, Google will just copy them. It's more of a feature than a business. But it's good that Google has some competition from Apple and other places because that's yeah, the only thing that will, uh, you know, uh, light a stick of dynamite under them and get them going. You hear less and less about it now, but but for a uh, a good five, maybe ten year span, uh, building up your company and then being acquired by Google was kind of the dream. <laughs> yeah, that was well. I've heard. Look, I mean, Foursquare's uh, history was Dennis Crowley started Dodgeball, got bought by Google. They shut it down, so he started Foursquare. So I I don't really have. Uh, the, the stories I hear about getting acquired by Google are not um, are not very positive stories, but uh, well, I'm sure I, I, some people. Have. Yeah, the 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 life after that may not be so so promising, but but usually you envision the being bought by Google comes with a big cash out. Yeah, that could happen too. I'm sure that happened with Waze and other places as well. Um, okay, at, last at least thing for on somebody location. at the top. Yeah, <laughs> last thing on location again from Apple. Why your iPhone keeps asking about background location use. I mean, this is something we're tracking very closely um, at Foursquare as well because it's very important for apps. But what happens is if you want an app to use location in the background when the app is not being used, it not only asks permission when you first install the app, but then it waits a couple days and it says, hey, this app is using your location in the background. Are you sure you want this? And then people have to click OK again. And I understand why they're doing this. They don't want uh, apps having location backgrounds on when the apps don't need it. Um, but I do question whether this is the right way to, this is the right solution here to get more notifications, more, you know, hey, do, are you okay with cookies? Whoever says they're not okay with cookies, just give me the information. Um, you know, and so I, I don't know. There, I feel like we have to kind of outsource uh, mentally outsource the these apps are you're getting value from it from having location in the background versus these apps you're not I don't think it's enough just to bombard us with more notifications when in all likelihood we're trying to accomplish something else with our phone yeah I, I don't think it's risen quite to the 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 level of this this other issue but uh, some some Windows users might remember with Windows Vista that the the user access control uh, feature was introduced uh, which which basically meant that anytime you were you were going to do something that that might uh, change system settings or, or basically anything that would uh, require admin uh, control uh, be, because most most Windows users didn't have a separate admin account at that point uh, it would it would pop up a a uh, 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 there, there would be a pop-up interface that would ask you do you really want to grant this level of control to whatever the application was trying to do it uh, and you may have even had to put in the uh, the your password again to to allow that, and it was just it was constantly spamming users to the point where it became super annoying, um, and they they eventually walked that back a little bit and made it more tolerable. But 
that's that's the risk you you run with with providing too much user information in this fashion. Yeah, I don't have a good answer for that because people do need to track their access controls. But on the other hand, it's always you know you're always pushing it on people at the wrong time, and there's no one's had a good interface for that. Um, nobody wants to control their access controls. I feel like we need to have some trusted. Uh, you know, we need to outsource it to some trusted place other than the developers themselves who are going to take advantage. Yeah, well, and, and I, I can see why a lot of developers uh, that that do use these features aren't liking it because it, it, it almost presents them to the user as this app is doing something wrong uh, and they're bad and you should yep. really reconsider allowing them to do that. Yeah, I mean, well, the app that I'm working on at Foursquare Labs is going to use background location. It's very clear why we're doing it. It's sort right. of a pretty fun thing. And um, we'll, I'll probably have a whole show on that in the future. But we'll see what, uh, you know, I'm not too concerned about it. I think the people who want the app want the background location on. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I would say that the, the apps I've noticed uh, primarily triggering this have been uh, Foursquare related apps uh, and and Google Maps. Those are the 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 two families that I I remember seeing those notifications from. Okay, well, I mean, well, that's good because those are ones that should be using background location. If you see, or, or, it, or at least uh, it's understandable why it's it's not like right. it's a flashlight app that's phoning home and telling the the developer where I am all the time. Well, maybe that's not why you're not getting those anymore because uh, you know. Maybe that feature has prevented those uh, those kind of rogue ac- apps from asking for these permissions. Yeah, well, and and I don't use Apple Maps, but I I would be curious. Uh, would Apple Maps also produce this kind of of a, an alert or a warning? Or because it's it's an Apple product, uh, it, it's not uh, subject to that level of scrutiny. It gets a pass. <laughs> Good, good, good question. Good question. I don't know the answer to that. I would guess they get a pass. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on to the Venezuela story real quick here. Um, a lot of the I, a lot of when I searched for news on this story, it kept uh, bringing me to a site called dnyuz.com, and it's impossible to tell what that site is. Fortunately. It looks like their articles are actually articles from the New York Times and other places that we know. But it's really, I was like, is this site just, is this a fake news site? I couldn't even tell. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to do the due diligence uh, when, you, when you can't even find out any information about the news source itself. But, but like you said, okay. uh, it all seems to, to lead back to the New York Times. Uh, so we, they're okay, at least so- a known quantity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. As I think I said on the notes here, uh, okay, so at least we're not relying on this random site that I don't know who it is. We can instead rely on the failing and lying New York Times. Uh, okay, so let's, uh, this story is, I don't know how much, it's, it's how, how do I put this? It's well, let's, hard let's, let's for me to lay out the thesis here before we get get too worked up about it. Okay, no, I just want to say that it's hard for me to tell whether this story is going to be important in the long run or not, or whether it's kind of a one-off thing and the Venezuelan govern, government really isn't serious about this. But apparently what's happening now, Venezuela has gone deeper and deeper into the abyss of socialism, command economy, uh, 
over the years. And there have been some very negative impacts on the people. You know, there have been food shortages, toilet paper shortages, electricity shortages. Their money no longer works. And so eventually their government has been backed so far into a corner now, it looks like they're finally allowing a modicum of freedom that, uh, uh, you know, that, that will provide some relief to people. So one of these things is, first of all, allowing people to use U.S. dollars. They were using U.S. dollars before, but it was illegal and the Venezuelan Bolivar didn't work. Uh, but at least now if it's if they're going to kind of turn the other way, if you could use U.S. dollars, which is weird because you're using the enemy country's currency, but um, they're just going to use U.S. dollars. And so that's going to help people out a lot, I think. Another one is allowing some foreign investment into their oil company. Not allowing foreign companies to come in and compete with like products and services and stuff, but allowing a little bit of foreign investment, which... Um, you know, will allow some wealth and capital to flow into Venezuela, which will help some people. Yeah, and, and I think particularly... Would you say that's the, accurate? Yeah, yeah. A, a, a couple of thoughts uh, on, on the the uh, the oil front. Uh, I think a big part of it is the the state-run oil company uh, has... Not only is it is it being run in a, in a uh, socialist command economy approach, but... It is rampant with nepotism and and corruption and and all sorts of structural problems uh, that that even if it was in a capitalist society uh, where where all these other uh, issues were were not part of it this this would not be a, a successful leading company and so bringing in I mean but that's what always happens socialism your, because there's no there's no check on any of this stuff. Yeah, well, so so bringing in Exxon or, or was it Exxon Mobil or Chevron or or companies like that, and having them basically operate the oil fields and uh, and Venezuela gets to skim off a, a, a percentage of that uh, means means that a the fields are actually operating that that the outputs uh, in the last several years have have plummeted, um, and and b that uh, as a result they're they're making more money taking a cut from these foreign companies than they were running it all by themselves. So, so it, it, it's going to work out for them in that, in that sense. It's, it's, it's the only logical market approach to the problem. Uh, so, so removing some of the false, false limitations there is, is benefiting everybody. But uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was that there were a couple of parallels drawn in the article to, uh, to Cuba and China. Um, and you've, you've been to Cuba. So I do, do they, allow and or encourage the use of U.S. dollars there, or, or are you required to put everything into the local currency? Oh, so it's it's even more interesting than that, Aaron. <laughs> they have two two local currencies. and I, I, yeah, one, I remember you telling me something about that. Yes. One local currency is for the locals, and another local current, and another currency that they have is for the tourists. And what do you know? It's one-to-one -one exchange rate with the dollar. Okay, but so that's, they, that's they, their, you can't use their way actual of dollars controlling it, but but yeah. functionally giving giving dollar parity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So because yeah, I was I was gonna say it. I I don't I don't think uh, even Cuba was was just letting the dollar you know float freely in their economy that they they wouldn't be cool with that. Um, but no, but yeah, the, the I mean the other parallel being China in 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 the sense that yes, it's a communist government. But they have allowed some limited, 
entrepreneurship and and capitalist uh uh you know pseudo free market uh ventures largely in in collaboration with state run uh, enterprise sure and uh, probably so, so I perhaps mean, that's I, the direction this is moving but it's it's really the impression to i get is that they in the 80s and 90s they did a lot more opening up um uh possibly even more than Venezuela is doing now. Uh, now I heard it might be going the opposite direction, but I, that's just what I heard. I could be wrong about that. Um, I did One phrase irked me in this article, which is the new free market economy, which I'm like, yeah, the free market economy. Just because you go from 0% to 1%, um, that just <laughs> sounds crazy to me. You're like, a communist dictatorship, but we're going to allow like one or two market-based things to happen that the government is still closely watching. Uh, how can you call that the new free market economy? Uh, but um, I yeah, guess they I, use words differently than I do. My, my, my take on it is that the, Maduro was looking at, at a full-on starvation crisis. And, and if they hadn't done something to, to get goods into the country, uh, he, was, he was going to be o- overthrown by, by rioting mobs. Uh, right and and, and so they they've they've more or less kind of sold out to the upper class and they're they're letting letting the the rich people in in Caracas uh you know bring bring in foreign goods and spend US dollars and that keeps peace in the capital and eh, so what if the people out in the countryside still don't have electricity and don't have food they're out in the countryside they can't lynch me in the capital so it'll you know, be interesting to see if that's enough to maintain his grip on power and stability but it's amazing, like, things were getting so bad there, even five years ago, that it took them this long to do something about it. Like, maybe five years ago, yeah, people were starving, but they're like, eh, you know, our our government can stay. We could still fight this out. Um, it's only until th- things had to get so bad for so long uh, in order for this to happen. And I, I understand that some people in his government are still opposed to this. They think that it's a... Um, it is a uh, it is a stab in the back to the socialist re- revolution. Yeah, well, and, to, and what's not uh, entirely the, clear the to me is is uh, so Venezuela has had this. Uh, uh, it's not a government in exile, but but they've had the there's there's the Maduro government and there is the the Juan Guaido uh, government. Where I, he was he, at the State of the Union. Yeah, so it's unbelievable. It, but, and he was introduced as the real president of Venezuela. Like, so so so. We support Guaido, uh, and and I think a number of European countries do as well. However, I I think he he him and his 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 party or his administration uh, might actually be opposed to some of these changes because they might be more closely aligned with a a uh, traditional uh, Chavist approach here. Um, for, Sometimes for, there are for, no for, good for guys. different reasons, but but yeah, it. it, it there, there may be a little bit of an inversion of of priorities here, because um, when you get desperate, you'll do anything to to hold on to power. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else on this, or are we ready to go? I think. Um, I, I I did want to mention one thing. There there yeah. was uh, another article you shared that was talking about uh, immigration uh, and and uh, the return, saying that. Uh, Many many Venezuelans are returning back to Venezuela after they they fled to other countries because things aren't so bad anymore and things were actually pretty tough elsewhere. Uh, and and I, I take issue with uh, it exactly sounds hold how on they it sounds hard to believe that things could turn around that fast. 
well yeah there's there's certainly that um i i i think so one one of my pet peeves is when we talk about uh in the u.s the congress talks about budget cuts um and in most cases what they're doing are not actually budget cuts it's that they're increasing the budget by less than was originally planned so yeah uh they're, they're still increasing spending but not by as much that's not a budget cut uh so, so what we're seeing here is it's not that they're that that people are no longer leaving Venezuela and they're returning to Venezuela. Uh, it's that the rate of people fleeing the country is decreasing, and and perhaps the rate of people returning to the country is increasing. But but we're still looking at overall a massive net exodus. Um, they they quoted something that uh, what was it. Uh, 17, in, in the last five years, 17% of those who left, uh, so uh, which, which equates to about a million people, have returned. Uh, that being That's said, uh, in 2020, the projection is that 6 million are going to flee Venezuela. So if you take the number of people mm-hmm. who've returned in the last five years and compare it to the number of people that are going to leave this year, uh, you're still at a net loss of 5 million people in a country uh, that I believe last year had a 30 million population. So this this is it's they're still draining people uh it's it's and it and it's pretty insincere to say that oh yeah it, the the embrace of capitalism is causing uh immigrants to return and and you know problem solved everything's getting better it th- things things may be uh there there may be an inflection point here but we're not at the bottom of the curve we haven't we haven't hit hit rock bottom and started to to climb back out yet i mean that's scary uh, for a number of reasons i mean you know when a country's been run into the ground this long, I mean, imagine if, you know, imagine if something like coronavirus uh, were were to outbreak there, there'd be very little you could do to to stop it, um, and so, you know, or or you know, a natural disaster, a hurricane, things like that. It's just, um, it's it's a very scary situation. Um, so hopefully things do turn around, <laughs> Venezuela. How much do you want to bet Venezuela comes up in the presidential election this year? Yeah, I, I would not at all be surprised by that. Yeah, because Bernie Sanders and, and frankly, a lot of the Democrats, but not all of them, were supporting the government of Venezuela as it was rising. Well, yeah, pr- pr- particularly if Bernie Sanders is the Democratic nominee, Trump is going to hammer on him about, oh, why are you a socialist? Look at Venezuela. Uh, and, but- and whether or not that's fair, uh, it, it would be a talking point. Right. Well, then he'll say, like, I'm not talking about Venezuela. But then it's like, well, you were supporting Venezuela then and now you have nothing to say about it. I just think, you know, you should have something to say about it. But uh, he, he doesn't, as far as I know. <laughs> well, step, stepping away from the politics of the matter and, and circling back to something you mentioned earlier, uh, we've talked in the past about Bitcoin in Venezuela and, and how, given the uh, economic situation there it was becoming an attractive uh, option for a lot of people i'd be curious to see what the numbers look like uh for for bitcoin usage in venezuela now that that u.s dollars are more or less freely flowing there uh, i i would imagine that that takes a lot of the pressure off bitcoin uh that that because there's there's comparatively more friction to convert money in and out of bitcoin into something usable down there that uh, if if it's easier to, to get a hold of dollars, they'll they'll just go with that instead. So I, I'd I'd be curious to see any any data to back up my suspicion on that. Yeah, it would be it's going to be a while before they uh, before you can get the data on this. Um, 
and could be right. The people who got into it might still be into it. Uh, there are some reports that the government is using it to get around sanctions. So that, that's an interesting use case. Uh, yeah, but, there, there uh, was a little bit in there about uh, be, because there are sanctions on Venezuelan oil uh, that that they're I, I, I didn't see the Bitcoin part about it, but that definitely that they're trying to kind of whitewash their their oil exports uh, to, to make it look like it's not coming from there so they can sell it elsewhere. Yeah. So, OK, you have the oh, uh, PDVSA. That's the name of the oil company there. Yes. OK, cool. And there and what, what is their relationship with Chevron? Uh, so, so there, there are a bunch of different oil companies, but but basically they've they've licensed them to go uh, operate certain certain oil fields. Um, gotcha. And and uh, you know they're they're bringing up uh, production rates significantly, uh, and and uh, the the Venezuelan government gets a cut of that, but they don't own the entire process. It's not necessarily there. So I, I think not only was the oil industry uh, being run entirely through this this uh, PDVSA uh, company, the biggest industry in Venezuela for, for decades. I think it was also the biggest employer in Venezuela uh, for that. That period. makes and sense. So, so that economy. that has changed. Uh, and I'm sure some of those employees are, are now working for, you know, Chevron and, and ExxonMobil and such. But uh, it's it's a very different uh very different scenario when your employer is the government versus when your employer is a company that has a government contract. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Looks like we we did okay on time. We've got a cool hour, <laughs> and uh, I think we're ready to. Uh, I think we're ready to head out. Um, I, there are a lot of. Uh, we've got a lot of topics just between the two of us that we could do on, on co-hosted shows in the bag. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I don't have any. I have a lot of guests in the pipeline, but I don't have anything recorded, so I don't want to jinx anything. But I've got some, I've got some pretty interesting guests in the pipeline, and uh, I'm hoping to get a few more. So, looking forward to awesome. that. Um, anything? Any last thoughts on all this stuff? Well, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I just wanted to throw out. Um, I, I mentioned it in passing earlier in the episode, but uh, I, I recently listened to episode 105. Uh, with, oh yeah, with Sophie Carr. Uh, and yeah. as a, a fellow uh, aeronautical engineer, uh, I, I thought that was a fascinating uh, uh, interview with her. Uh, and, and I just wanted to, to say I really enjoyed that. Uh, and, and I know we've talked about uh, you doing uh, an interview on my backstory at some point in the future. We haven't gotten around to that yet. But, oh, you but snuck someday, out of that, haven't someday. you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. I um, yeah, I, I I knew that was your background. And I thought that. Uh, uh, I'm glad you liked that. Uh, she does have some, I don't know if you saw some of her YouTube videos online. I that, did. That yeah, I, some... I went through the ones you linked. Uh, so yeah, th- yeah. those, those were pretty interesting. Yeah, those are very good. That, uh, that's be- become a very popular episode. So, uh, Bayesian stuff, uh, is, uh, and, and math stuff is, um, is more popular than, uh, than people would have you believe. Well, just maybe that. we need to update our, uh, our priors about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's it, Aaron. Uh, Take care and uh, have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. 
The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.